I just love that bright little opening from Utah's own Pixie and the Party Grass Boys kicking off yet another episode of Last Chair. Hello Utah skiers and riders and welcome back to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast brought to you by High West Distillery, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. High West's passion is crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home right here in the American West. Join me this winter at one of High West's three must-visit locations in Park City and nearby Wanship. I don't know if you're like me, but I just love checking out the great gear that other skiers and riders are wearing up on the mountain. And if you've been on the slopes here in Utah the last few years, you've likely been struck by the clean lines and the vibrant colors of Steo. A Ski Utah partner, Steo is a direct-to-consumer brand that has been created out of the culture of the Mountain West. Today on Last Chair, we have a guest who has really helped revolutionize outdoor clothing over the last two decades. Steve Sully Sullivan grew up in western Colorado, but he spent a lot of his life right here in the Utah mountains and deserts. An avid skier, climber, mountain biker, and fly fisherman, his life embodies the lifestyle that we all feel here in Utah. By the time he was 12, Sully was already hanging around outdoor sports shops. Out of college, he started Cloudvale, and he's gained considerable traction now with his unique Steel brand, a very strong outdoor technical company with a full range of lifestyle products. If you're in Utah this winter, check out the Steel store on Historic Main Street, where you'll be struck by the color palette and have a chance to touch and feel the high quality of the technical gear. Let's catch up now with Steve Sully Sullivan here on Last Chair to learn more about the Steel brand. And coming to us live today from the Steel World Headquarters in Jackson, Wyoming, Stephen Sullivan and Sully, thank you for joining us on Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. Hey, nice to be here. Super excited to chat with you today. So what have you been getting the same snow we've been getting down here? Uh, yeah, we've been getting absolutely pummeled for about the last two weeks. I think today is the first day that there's... Uh, the sun has been out for you know a couple hours this morning, which is really nice to see because it's been super gray and super snowy, but the skiing has been absolutely superb. Well, I appreciate you joining us because I understand your wife got that magical phone call this morning to go on an adventure for the day, and you're sitting here in the office. I am. She uh, she got the nod uh, from some friends to, to do a heli skiing day with High Mountain Heli Skiing here in Jackson. So I'm sure she's having a, an awesome day out there. Well, it really has been great. I mean, here in Utah, we've been just getting hammered the last few weeks. It's funny, you know, it, 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 we've been getting these Friday snowfalls. So for all of those weekend warriors, which has made Saturdays pretty challenging, but we've been getting all of these big Friday and Saturday snow dumps down here. And it's, it's just been awesome skiing finally after I was a little bit thin there for a while. But boy, it ain't thin anymore here. Yeah, I love uh, skiing down in Utah. I've um, I've spent a lot of time at Alta and Snowbird, and then also up in the uh, skied a lot of backcountry up in Big Cottonwood, and um, 
skied up in Park City and Solitude and Brighton and everywhere up there. And boy, when you guys get snow, the that lake effect is really something down there. Uh, it really is. We had Jim Steenberg, who wrote the book on the greatest snow on earth, on the Last Chair podcast in January. And he talked a lot about that and uh, some of the science behind that lake effect and also the science behind the topography that we have with the various canyons, which was really quite fascinating. Uh, we're going to talk about your background. We're going to talk about your brand, Steo, which is an official sponsor of Ski Utah. I, I, I want to, before we get started, before I forget, I was on your website yesterday at steo.com. That's S-T-I-O.com. And I just love that glory shot you've got up there right now of the athlete model skier just totally laid out on edge. It looked like Ted Ligety there for a minute, just stretched out over the snow and your brand just showed up so well in that shot. Yeah, that's that that is a great shot. I don't know if anybody carves as well as Ted. Really happy for him that he he retired and he's going to move on with his his career, but boy was he fun to watch for the last uh, 15 or 20 years out there on the World Cup. But what, you know, contrary to popular belief, our, our grooming here at Jackson Hole is actually pretty amazing and the early morning uh, groomers are are great here. They uh I don't think they're quite uh, Deer Valley or, or Park City level, but they're they're pretty damn good, and, and we have a lot of fun getting out there and carving early mornings. Well, before we talk about the brand Steel, I want to learn a little bit more about you. And when I think about, we're fortunate, you and I, to live here in the Mountain West. You grew up in the Mountain West in, in Colorado. You now make your home up in Jackson. But there are great characteristics of the Mountain West that really form an amazing culture. And on the podcast, we talk a lot about the amazing skiing here in Utah, but the experience when visitors come West is really an amazing thing. It's the mountains, it's the desert, an incredible landscape. You grew up in the midst of this in Western Colorado. As a young boy, how did you get engaged with the mountain life? Well, I, I think it all started, I moved to Colorado when I was 10 years old. I actually grew up, you know, what my, I guess my early youth uh, was spent in the Midwest, um, and I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And then when I was 10, uh, my mom is, was a college professor, and she got a job teaching at, at uh, Colorado Mesa State University in Grand Junction. And we packed up and moved out there. My uncle and my, uh, a couple of my aunts had already moved out there, and I was really fortunate. My, I grew up with just my mom and my sister, and my dad is still in the Midwest, but my, uh, my uncle was a real passionate outdoorsman. So starting at the age of 10, I started uh, going on backpacking trips, and I learned to fly fish, and I learned to ski. I had been a hockey player in Michigan, and when I moved out, there was no hockey, and so I had to find something to fill my time, so I started skiing. But really fortunate because my uncle loved to explore, and, and we... Being in Grand Junction, which is so close to Utah, we went, you know, I started going to Moab and Canyonlands in the, you know, early 70s and, and exploring and hiking and, and then eventually mountain biking and doing all the, all the rest. But I, I, really, uh, I really had those formative years in, a, in an area that was really cool because Grand Junction is like kind of a cross between the desert and the mountains. And so we got a little bit of both there. And, and very close in proximity to a lot of unbelievable places to recreate outside. 
And then I also started working. Uh, my uncle's girlfriend at the time started one of the first true outdoor stores in the country. It was called Lewis and Clark. And I started working in the shop when I was about 12, uh, mounting cross-country skis. And so I got really immersed into the whole outdoor culture at a young age. You, know, you mentioned Moab in the desert. Most skiers think about the mountains. They think about the snow-covered Wasatch Range. But when you come out here, what you discover very quickly is this diversity between the mountains and the desert. You discovered that in Moab and Red Rock Country. Talk a little bit about the desert and its part in the culture of the Mountain West. Well, I, I think the desert is one of the, you know, the great powers. You know, there's, there's kind of the mountains and the desert and the oceans. And, um, and I'm still entranced by it. I still get down and try to do a river trip um, in the desert every year. Although with three kids and a busy work life, that doesn't always happen. But I, I try to make it down there. But I've, I've always thought it was a really powerful place and a place of unbelievable changes in, um, you know, in climate. And so it's probably one of the reasons I got into the apparel business was just going through my youth, um, always being cold and wet and um, wearing some old hand-me-downs of my uncles and, 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 but I, I really learned a lot about the climate. Like I've, you know, I've done a lot of skiing in Moab in the LaSalle's and it can be just absolutely superb spring skiing down there. And so I, but I, I truly love the desert and, um, and try to make a trip down there every year because of, you know, I feel like it's, it is one of those powers in the world, like the mountains. And that's, you know, one of the coolest things about Utah is you guys have this unbelievable, uh, you know, the topography of the state is so diverse. It's just amazing. Um, and you, you have the Wasatch and, and the unbelievable mountains up near Salt Lake. And then, you, you know, drive a few hours and the next thing you know, you're in Red Rock country. It's always hard to define culture. But what are some of the attributes of culture that you feel when you're out in the desert, when you're up in the mountains that uh, really are close to your heart? Well, I, I think the whole um, growing up in the Mountain West and, and living in the mountains for so long now, you know, I've been in Jackson for 31 years and, and I was in Colorado for 14 years before that, 15 years. And I there's just something different about living out here. There's something different about the people here. There's something different about having to deal with um, the elements and and the and the time spent outside, um, whether that's you know skiing or or climbing or fly fishing or whatever it might be, kayaking, um, river running in the mountains. There's there's just a different culture out here, and it's a culture that is just so ingrained in my life. And, and it's so ingrained in our company. Um, and, it, and I think it makes a huge difference, uh, the, the types of people that, that end up in the mountains uh, are real, you know, quite a hearty lot. I mean, you have to, you have to deal with a lot of adverse weather and, and a, a completely different kind of change in seasons constantly. And, and I, I, I really feel like it's super ingrained in our brand because all of our employees live our, the outdoor lifestyle. And so we get an, a, a tremendous amount of just direct input from our team here on you know, almost each and everything we make. And, 
and each and every person has an opinion and is critical of the product and and makes it better and so that that's a real unique characteristic about living out here is is just the the diversity in climate and and having good apparel obviously you know makes a, a huge difference in your enjoyment let's go back to that period when you were a 12 year old mounting bindings on cross-country skis for your uncle that started you down a long path in the outdoor industry. Can you go back to those formative years when you were a teen and just just kind of looking at how you initially mapped out that direction for yourself? Yeah, I don't think it was, I think it was probably a subconscious thing. It wasn't like I consciously decided to go mount cross-country skis. It was where I could make five bucks an hour or whatever I made. And but I, but I ended up as I moved through high school, I continued to work in outdoor stores and, and then I got really into bike racing as well. So I worked in a lot of bike shops. I always seemed to find myself in, in a product centric environment, you know, in a retail environment like that. And one of the other places when I moved down to, I went to college down in Durango, Colorado at Fort Lewis College. And I ended up getting a job in an outdoor store down there just because it was the easy thing for me to do because I knew how to do it. And I just became more and more over the years, you know, entranced with the different, especially textiles. I became really fascinated about textiles and what different textiles could do to add to your enjoyment and performance in the outdoors. So after college, I moved on and moved to Boulder for a year. And I actually worked for a company called Wave Rave, which was an early snowboard apparel brand. And I got a little taste of the back end of the business and how manufacturing worked there. Then I got a quote unquote corporate job out in San Francisco that was a very brief stint of about a year. And um, my best friend from college called me and said, hey, I've got a job, a ski pass and a place to live in Jackson. What are you doing? I packed up my car two weeks later and moved here. And he left about a year later. He's still my best friend, but um, and, and actually lives in Colorado still. But he left about a year later and I just never did. I, I think everybody has to go through that getting away from it for a little bit to realize just how amazing it is to be in the mountains. That's probably what you went through in San Francisco. Yeah, I did. I just, the, I, I love cities and I love to visit them, but they're, they're not for me as far as a place to live. I need a, a smaller, more tight knit community. And, and especially I, you know, I miss the mountains like crazy. I mean, there, there's some great things to do in San Francisco and it, there's some mountains somewhat close, but they're hours away. And I needed that proximity to be able to literally, like I, I can literally walk across the street from my house. I live right up against the mountains in Wilson and I can skin up uh, 2000 vert and ski a powder run in the morning. And I, I just need that in my life. You cannot do that in San Francisco. No, you cannot do that in San Francisco. Anyway, and so then as time went on, when I moved to Jackson, I did a plethora of things. You know, I taught skiing. I um, I worked in restaurants and I was a bartender and, but I also kind of settled back in and, and worked at an outdoor store here called Skinny Skis. And I met a guy and that's when I, uh, we decided to start my first company, which was called Cloudvale. And we were in the wholesale business. So quite a bit different than Steo in, in the distribution channel, but I had found this fabric, this soft shell fabric from a company called Scholler in Switzerland. And I really felt like it wasn't being utilized in the in the outdoor apparel um, in the market at the time, and so I uh, I had some samples made up by a friend that was a seamstress and started testing the stuff, and then uh, 
I convinced a buddy that we ought to give it a go and and we walked into uh, the outdoor retailer show down in Salt Lake with uh, 12 styles and a homemade trade show booth that we had to move in in the middle of the night so the union labor wouldn't get on us and and that started the ball rolling um, that that brand took off and did pretty well and then we went through a lot of transitions with that and were bought and sold a couple times and kind of went through, I, I, I've always called it the private equity hamster wheel. Although I'm careful about that because we do have a, a wonderful private equity partner in Steo um, that's been with us since the beginning. But went through a lot of transitions. I tried to buy that brand back from the company that owned it and didn't get it. And I had a little paid vacation for a year and a half. So a lot of time to think about how I wanted to do the next one. And when I started Steo, the, the biggest thing I wanted to do was have a much more direct interaction with our customer. And in order to do that, the only way to do it was to be a direct consumer brand because it takes out, you know, the sales organization and, the and then the, the retailers from the feedback loop. And so you're really just communicating directly with your customer. And I also thought that, that it was the future, you know, that more and more people were going to be buying uh, through e-commerce. And this was 10 years ago. So, you know, e-commerce was, was already around, obviously. I mean, you know, Amazon was already around and, and, and scaling and other big e-commerce brands. But, but there was, I saw an opening because nobody was doing this in the outdoor apparel space. And so we put some financing together, a little bit more money than I started Cloudville with about by a factor of about 30. And, and we, I hired a, a, a nice solid team to, to get the brand off the ground. And, um, one of the things I'm almost most pleased about is, you know, our original kind of four key people are still with us and they're still helping to drive the brand. Um, and it's been really, it's been really fun as we've all kind of matured through it. Um, and, and, you know, we've built a pretty sizable company now and it continues to scale at really large rates every year. And, but we've been those the original gut instinct of those those people was was dead on and and they've all uh, they've all been able to scale with the business so it's been really fun. Sully, let's go back to those first days with Steel and you're inter- introducing this new direct to consumer model. I think today most of us are pretty accustomed to buying things that have sizes that have a tactile feel to them. We're accustomed to buying that online, but when you started Steel, that was really pretty new to all of us as consumers. How did you address that in the early days? Well, I think a couple things. The first thing we did that I think was a little bit different was we launched an e-commerce platform, we put a catalog in the mail, and we opened a retail store all literally within the same month. So the launch month, which was September 10 years ago. And that I think was different because it immediately, first of all, opening the retail store immediately kind of gave the brand legitimacy that it was a real thing. And hey, come visit our retail store in Jackson. And it was also a place where we get a lot of visitation here, obviously tourist visitation. So there, it was going to get in front of a lot of eyeballs. And then I think that the catalog was really important. And we are a very significant cataloger now. It's still our largest customer acquisition tool. And we now send millions of catalogs a year. And having that's a tactile thing as well. You know, they talk a lot about like the haptic touch and, and how important, um, you know, f- the way you feel something is and how important that is to your subconscious mind and when you're making a purchasing decision. And the same thing goes for a catalog. Like, getting that physical manifestation of the brand in the mail is really important. And, 
you know, we're, we're careful and we use, um, you know, recycled content printing and, and we're, we're thoughtful about it and we don't oversaturate, but it, it is really important, um, to the customer and, and catalogs still really work. The digital experience has gotten better and better and we're doing more work in digital than we ever have before. And, and we spend a tremendous amount of money on that customer acquisition, um, channel as well. But, but we are, uh, I think that was, that was a big difference that coming out and saying we are going to get in the catalog business was important. And, and, and part of this whole analytically driven business, and that's what we are. We're an analytically driven business and, um, that makes outdoor clothes. You know, I love what you're saying about the catalog, and I have this philosophy. In my early days, I worked in newspapers, and newspapers are really becoming a thing of the past. But what I've seen is that high-quality print journals – Mountain Gazette coming back out, Skiers Journal, your catalog. And folks, if you've not seen the Steel catalog, it is truly amazing. But I think high-quality print, particularly if it's done in a sensitive manner, is really popular. And it does give you that kind of tactile feel you might not be able to get if you couldn't go into a shop. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, um, I, I think I was one of the first uh, subscribers when the Mountain Gazette came back out. And, and I, I'm a huge fan of, of that magazine. I was always a huge fan of it. And, and, and I think you're right. And, and we also try to make our catalogs, um, they're, they're not just products. You know, we tell stories in the books and, and we, we try to give a sense of place um, to the customer so they understand the end use. And, and there's a lot of work that goes into that. We, we do all of our our creative in-house. So we have a complete graphic team in-house. And, and I think that was also important to be able to control the message uh, more carefully and, um, and address our consumer population. So we talked a lot about the culture of the Mountain West. When you look at the Steel brand, what are some of the defining elements to you? What are the messages that you tell people about Steel and what it represents? Well, you, you know, the brand is, is all about kind of outdoor empowerment and to me. And, you know, our tagline is let the outside in. And, and that tagline really sums it up for me. It's, it's, all about, um, it's all about giving people a reason to be outdoors. And, um, and obviously, I mean, we, you know, nobody could have predicted a pandemic in their business model. But, but I think one of the one of the great things that's happened with us is that um, we've seen um, a groundswell over the last year of people really returning to outdoor activities. And, and, and so if there's anything good that comes from this pandemic, which there's not a lot of good, there've been a lot of people that have lost their lives and their family members and, um, or been, you know, terribly sick, but, for the for the folks that that are still here with us, they they've they've made a, a migration again to being outside, and I think that is one really cool part of the pandemic. If there is any cool part, is that it's getting people back outdoors and, and active and um, participating and um, in the outdoor activities they they used to love or they they continue to love. So I'm super stoked about it. Sully, I had a chance the other day to, to visit your Park City store, which you opened on Main Street just a few years ago. In fact, I think you did a lot of the interior work on it. It's a beautiful small boutique shop on historic Main Street. And when you walk in the door, you are immediately immersed in colors. 
it was the first time I'd had a really up-close personal visit with the brand, but it really struck me coming in the door that this is a vibrant outdoor brand. Yeah, we we actually spend a tremendous amount of time on color. Um, we have a color consultant that we've worked with for 10 years, and we put a lot of focus on really clear, clean, bright, crisp kind of color. And it has become a hallmark of the brand, especially that's really relevant, I think, in our outerwear collections and, and also, you know, throughout the collections. But it it is a real focus for us. And, and when we decided um, to open down in Park City, Park City was was always on our radar. It's a very, you know, I consider it a sister community to Jackson. It's a it's a wonderful community of really talented outdoor athletes and phenomenal skiing, phenomenal, mount, phenomenal mountain biking, um, and trail running there. And so to me, it was the most natural, uh, next step for Steo. Um, you know, we we have a real focus on kind of being in either mountain or gateway communities with our retail and our, our next store will be opening in Boulder, Colorado this spring. And so it, it's been, um, it's been really fun to get to know that community and be part of that community. And, and we've had a wonderful reception down there and have really built a nice customer base down there. But the store was really fun to put together, you know, a little 1800s mining cabin, you know, super funky. I don't think there's a square or level thing in the whole building. And, and so, um, and I was down there for the last couple of weeks push to get the store open. We worked with some wonderful local contractors and, but you know, I was I was there with the tool belt on, you know, and, and and trying to get after it and help where I could. It was a lot of fun. You really summed it up. There are no levels anywhere no. along Main Street in some of those nineteenth century no, buildings. No, there are not. I mean, you could literally put a, a golf ball on the floor and it would shoot across the floor. So, but it, it it's such a cool it's such a cool town. Um, that whole downtown area is just such a cool historic little section of the of the mountain world. Yeah, it really is. I was fortunate to land here back in the late 80s, so I didn't see it in its early, early days, but I saw it in a different phase than it is today. But you, you've invested in Utah. You've formed a partnership with Ski Utah to get your brand out there. What was it with Ski Utah that attracted you to become a partner and to utilize that platform to get the Steel message out? Obviously, you know, Utah and Colorado are kind of the two uh, kingpins of the ski world. There are more ski areas in Utah times 50 than there are in Wyoming, for example, obviously. And, and so it seemed like a really natural partnership with our store down there. We, we, we really feel like Utah has adopted the brand really well. And we also feel like, you know, it's just a great, it's a great place for us to be marketing um, with so many um, people visiting Utah to ski and to recreate, you know, whether they're there in the summer to mountain bike and fish. And, um, you guys have superb fishing down there as well. So it's, it's, it just seemed like a really natural extension and ski Utah is also a great organization and super well run. And, um, so it seemed like a very natural partnership. Can you give us a little bit of a walkthrough of your brand, the types of clothing pieces that you have right now, and maybe thoughts you have on new additions to the line in the future? Yeah, sure. We So we make a, a pretty full range of um, outerwear and lifestyle sportswear. Kind of the, the genesis of the brand was 
you know, you, I wanted this to the brand to encompass the totality of the mountain life. So something that you could wear to work, um, and then something you could wear when you were on the mountain and, and that has held true. Um, so we make everything from organic cotton, uh, shirting and panning to technical sportswear for, you know, water sports, um, whether it's river or kayaking or, um, fishing or whatever it might be in the summer hiking. Um, we have a pretty broad range. Um, we have over 250 styles in the line. We have some, some really, really cool new stuff in the pipeline. I ha I'm probably sworn to a little bit of secrecy, but we will be expanding our collections. Um, one of the big expansions we made this year is we've gotten much deeper into the, into our bag program. So we do a really nice collection of lifestyle, um, duffels and totes. And this spring we've introduced a new, very lightweight um, program that actually stuffs into these little pockets. So it's very transportable when you're traveling. Um, we're hopeful everybody gets back to traveling. And, uh, and so that's one of the fun new extensions this year. And, and then we've, we've pretty dramatically expanded our, our lifestyle sportswear collection for the, for the spring summer months as well. The other big recent um, news for us is this last fall, we introduced Gore-Tex outerwear. So we, we spent about four years working on a program with Gore-Tex um, to develop a partnership there and a couple years in development on the apparel. And we're really excited with that new relationship with Gore-Tex. I was going to ask about that. And one of the things that struck me is that you have a real diversity of waterproof, breathable fabrics that you're using. Is, is that a strategic move to have different offerings? Um, yeah, it's a little bit of the, the good, better, best philosophy. So we make and, and trying to address different price tiering within the, within the apparel, but we, we use a lot of different textiles. Um, we use a lot of textiles from Torre, which is probably the largest provider of waterproof breathable textiles in the world. And a, a huge uh, company based in Japan that's been providing outdoor apparel textiles for 40 years. And we use a lot of their fabrics for different things. We have a new stretch fleece program that's made out of their textile that's just beautiful. So the, the, a little bit of it is just the tiering um, within the collections. And we actually use you know, four different Gore-Tex fabrics right now. So some of it goes to the application that you're trying to build the apparel for, and some of it goes to the price tiering. You have a great team, and you have always had good people alongside of you. What are the things, though, that you really like to get your hands on with the company even today? Well, we named our, our former chief marketing officer, Noah Waterhouse, became our president two years ago. And that, quite frankly, was just a realization that Noah is an absolutely wonderful operator of a business. Um, he's incredibly bright and much more methodical than I am as far as his approach to you know, structuring goals and objectives. And so it seemed really natural for him to migrate over to run the day-to-day -day operations. And, and that does free me up a little bit. Um, and I spend, I still spend a lot of my time on, on, on general operations working with him, obviously, because I'm the CEO, but, but I, I spend a ton of time now and have really dived back into product development, which is one of my strengths. And then I also, we've just hired a great new VP of marketing who actually lives in Park City. His name is Evan Torrance, wonderful guy, and he's already off to the races. But I also do, I, I have a lot of input into the marketing and um, the campaigns we do. I still review every catalog. 
I still look through a lot of the creative in the business and offer my suggestions, help with photo selection, whatever it might be. So marketing and product are, are kind of where I have um, a little more attention when I'm not doing, you know, some of the, the CEO stuff like corporate governance and, and some of the other fun, fun things you get to do when you're a CEO. Let's highlight fun there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hope that was a little tongue in cheek. And then obviously, um, we have a, a outstanding CFO as well, but I, I still you know review all the budgets annually and um, dive in with those guys on that stuff. Sully, one of the principles behind your direct-to-consumer approach was being able to get direct feedback from your consumers. How do you process that, and, and how does that feedback eventually make it into new products or product updates? Well, it, it really does make it. One of the we get a lot of direct feedback. I get plenty of direct feedback myself. You know, people can find you these days on LinkedIn or, or Facebook or whatever it might be. And, and so I, and I'm, I, I always respond and I think people are a little shocked that I respond, but I still care about what everybody thinks about the product, you know, whether it's my wife or, or whether it's, uh, somebody I've never met that lives in, you know, uh, Woodstock, Vermont. <laughs> um, I did get a comment from a customer from Woodstock this year. And so I, I, I think we process it in a very proactive way. Um, one of the ways we get a lot of feedback is, one, is through our returns. You know, when we have stuff returned, um, whether it's a fit issue for the customer or whether they didn't like the color or whatever it might be, we actually, um, we have a system that we process all that returns data and we bring it to our product team. And so our product team can, you know, and, and we're a little more nimble than we would be if we were in the wholesale business because we can course correct a little faster. So if we're seeing a consistent uh, fit issue, for example, in a women's pant, we will immediately address that. It used to be that we that a lot of that we didn't get a lot of that information for several months after the season, but now we've we've uh, got it dialed in quite a bit more um, through working with a new system on our website and so we can we can get more direct and more rapid feedback and we do monthly kind of returns analysis and then we just we just listen to our customers our um we we use a system for our customer service agents that they can log product information on and product comment on and and all that informs all that informs the end result and and then obviously our three retail stores soon to be four um, those those guys pick up a ton of product information, and and they also log it. So we use a variety of different ways of inbound communication to um, inform the future of the product range. As we wrap things up, Sully, I want to go back to our earlier discussion about the Mountain West, and we've learned your history in the outdoor industry and what you did in building the brand at Steel. But as you look back and reflect across your life, what is the outdoor business brought to you personally, and what life lessons have you learned from that engagement with the outdoors? Uh, well, I mean, it's my whole world. I, I literally wake up almost every morning and knock on wood um, for how fortunate I've been to be able to um, have my my passion translate into a business. Um, you know, my life passions are are skiing and climbing and cycling and fly fishing, and I. I love the outdoors. And so being able to wake up every day and be part of the outdoor industry is just such a cool thing. And I think, you know, it's really cool how 
lessons in the outdoors translate into business. You know, whether that's, you know, you're on a climb and, and you have to, you have to really understand teamwork in stressful environments like that. Um, whether you're backcountry skiing, some steep line that everybody needs to have exit strategies and, and watch each other's back and go one by one so that you're, you're being careful, um, you know, especially in the avalanche season we're having this year. You know, those, those are all lessons we take into business. And the cool thing about being in the outdoor business is all the people that work for me do the same things I do, and they're all in the outdoors. And so, you know, being able to kind of apply the lessons we've learned in the outdoors to a business structure is, is really cool. And I always was a big admirer of uh, Peter Metcalf, who started Black Diamond, and uh, who's a good friend now. And um, although I haven't seen him in a, in a while, but he lives down your way. And you know, he, he always, he always was a, a big believer in those lessons learned in the outdoors and how they applied to business. And I really took that to heart. Yeah. Peter's been an amazing asset here in Utah. I was with the U S ski team about the same time that, and we had just moved to Utah in the late eighties and he was moving his company to Utah. So we talked a little bit back then and it's been amazing to watch how he grew his company here and what he brought to our landscape here in Utah. Uh, Sully, it's been great to talk to you. We're going to wrap things up now with a little section that I call Fresh Tracks, a few relatively simple questions to let us learn a little bit more about you. And I'm going to start out with one that you kind of just answered a little bit. But if you were to pick another outdoor activity that you really love outside of skiing, what would that be? Uh, I think number two these days would probably be mountain biking and gravel biking. But Fly fishing has been a huge part of my life for many years, and so that's probably my number two activity. I'm, I'm a skier and a fly fisherman at heart. Are you doing much uh, snow biking, fat biking? I am. I've just recently got into that. I've had a fat bike for quite a while that I you know, used to ride on the bike path once in a while to work, and, and now they're grooming the, the mountain bike trails here, and it is an absolute riot. It's, it's so smooth. That's the one thing I really like about it compared to mountain biking. You know, the, the trails get so smooth in the winter. And it has become a, a really growing uh, new category here in Jackson and around the Intermountain West. Super fun. Yeah, it really is. You, you, you see them around here in Utah as well. It's quite an amazing activity. Okay, let's take it back to skiing. When you get down here to Utah, which I know is reasonably often, do you have a favorite ski area you like to go to? Well, I've, I've started skiing at Park City a lot more because um, it's really close. I can walk down the street from our shop and then go get some laps. But you know what? I think my favorite ski area in Utah is Snow Basin. I just love Snow Basin. When they, um, my daughter, in fact, I'm going to be down there this weekend for a ski race with my daughter. And I've been looking forward to that for a month because I just think it's a tremendous ski area. Um, it's not very crowded. The terrain is awesome. And, you know, I don't think they, you know, if I had to pick like the perfect powder ski area, I would probably say Alta. But I really like the terrain and the diversity at Snow Basin. Yeah, it's really quite an amazing place. By the way, I did a podcast a few weeks ago with Travis Seeholzer from Beaver Mountain, which actually isn't all that far from you. Uh, so you might want to check that out sometime if you haven't already. Yeah, that'd be cool. So we haven't really talked too much about some of the crazy outdoor activities that you do and how you skin up mountains in the morning and so forth. But if you were to cite one really crazy outdoor accomplishment that you have to your credit, what would that be? 
Well, I, I used to climb a lot, and so I, you know, I climbed Denali in 1995. That was a pretty crazy one. I skied the Hout route uh, a few years ago with all my college buddies, which was which was great. But one of the craziest things I've done recently is I, I did a race last year down in Aspen called the Power of Four, which is a ski mountaineering race over all the peaks in Aspen. A buddy buddy of mine conned me into it, and uh, and boy did I have to get some miles in last last winter up Snow King to, to you know just to get the legs ready for that. But that was really fun. Cool. Since this is a Ski Utah podcast, and we're very proud of our High West Whiskey, uh, which is distilled right here in the state of Utah, might you have a favorite High West Whiskey brand? I, I do. I, I, uh, I like the American Prairie, I think, the best. I like Campfire as well, but I really like that American Prairie. Yeah, I'm a big Campfire fan. So last question, in one word, Sully, what does outdoor recreation mean to you? In one word. In one word. Wow. It is, uh, it's my life, I, I guess, you know. I don't know if I can sum that up in one word. Well, let's just say life. Life, yeah. That's, that's good enough. Steve Sullivan, thank you for joining us here on the Last Chair podcast. It's been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit better, and I encourage everybody to pick up a catalog, or if you're in Utah, get over to Park City and see the store on Main Street. Sully, thank you so much. Awesome to be with you, Tom. It was exhilarating, to say the least, to talk to Sully today on Last Chair. There's real character to the Mountain West culture, and he's truly captured that in the Steel line. Check out the Steel store in Park City this winter, or simply go to steel.com. That's Steel, S-T-I-O, dot com. If you want to learn more, go to the Last Chair blog page at skiutah.com for more details, photos, and links. The Ski Utah Last Chair podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at Drink High West. And remember, sip responsibly. High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume. High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. In our next episode, we'll take you to the mountains to learn how Utah's ski resorts were transformed from the booming 19th century silver mines here to the ski slopes that we all enjoy today. We'll be joined by Sandy Melville, who will take us on a virtual tour of the historic old mining structures at Park City Mountain. And as a special bonus, we're recording that episode at High West, and we'll do a little whiskey tasting in the historic High West distillery in Park City. Now let's turn it over to Pixie and the Party Grass Boys to close out this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Kelly for Last Chair, presented by High West. Have fun. It's a great day to ski. Ski, 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 ski